Hello and welcome to Dynasty as They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. So I feel like we've stayed up all night after this exciting party and it's time to wake up with some coffee. Yeah, well, I'm having a little bit. I have a little bit left in my cup. Well, I think we've drank the whole pot, but uh, that may be time to reorder a whole nother case of this stuff. So I think we've been drinking this coffee for, what, 15 years now? Almost 20 years? I've been drinking it Are we pretty showing much our age? my whole adult life. Yeah, I have you to blame for this. The official coffee of Dynasty is they want to be, well, until maybe we get like another sponsor, but we always drink Cafe Bustello, the espresso blend. And I've been, yeah, I've been drinking that since high school. Well, I think this started out as drinking espresso, right? But then I think at some point we just got lazy and made coffee out of it. And then we decided we liked that better than regular coffee. Well, do you want to know when I first learned about Cafe Bustello? I I do, actually, because we're just a couple of podunks from Florida. And this was like, what, year 2000 or something? Yeah, I don't think you actually know this. or if you No, I I don't know this. If I did tell you, this is such a revelation. Every day I just learned something new about you. Oh, how romantic. Um, no. So do you know the musical Rent? Yes. (laughs) So there's a scene in the beginning where one of their friends is coming back home after having taught. So wait, is this like specifically referenced in the dialogue or it's just like a prop or something? Like both. I mean, it's a lyric that, um, Jonathan Larson, like, I guess I've just missed it. So if if this play ever gets put on it, it's always going to be in the script it's it's like one of the original forms of product placement i wow. guess not really but i don't know how i miss this i mean i've seen this musical like three or five times and oh I just never oh noticed. yeah i did make you go to i know i least made you see it once but anyway the line is bustello marlboro banana by the bunch yeah a box yeah. of captain crunch would taste so good so me as a little like, you know, theater queen in high school, I was like, what does this mean, Bustello? And I don't remember how I did the research. I guess maybe I looked on the internet or something. And then I realized it was a a form of Latin coffee. And I was big into drinking coffee back in the 90s or whatever. And I was uh, like... Weren't we all? <laughs> so... That's how I, I don't know, I bought a brick of it and I was like, oh, it's strong. And now, it's where were aromatic. you finding bricks of this stuff back then? I don't remember. I think maybe one of the grocery stores had it. I, I just, mean, I feel like your neighborhood Piggly Wiggly did not have the Cafe Selecciones. I don't, I honestly don't remember. You know, I could have got it from a friend. We've all gotten something from a friend, haven't mm-hmm. we? Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think we've probably ordered this by the case now for, what, 15 years or something? Yeah, well, it's kind of pricey. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Our freezer <laughs> is basically just like the... Bricks and bricks yeah, of it's Bustello. Like Fort Knox with, with, instead of gold, it's little yellow bricks of Cafe Bustello. Well, that has to do more with the fact that we're kind of um, cheap bastards, which is probably surprising to a lot of listeners of the podcast because we're also, so I keep bougie. Meaning but... to do their research. Um, does keeping bricks of coffee in your freezer really do anything? Oh, I've done that research. That, that sounds no. like some southern, you know, like superstition or something. Yeah, no, no, no. That used to be like I think maybe 10, 20 years ago, keeping coffee cold was the accepted would, practice. Would preserve all the freshness or the right. oils but or something. But now that coffee culture has come so far, people recognize that it's actually very bad because it, it makes the the coffee moist. 
but fantastic. Also, We're living in the dark ages of coffee still. <laughs> well, it's fine with me because it tastes so good. I, well, it's also all about the ratio, right? I mean, coffee can be as good or as bad as you want it to be, just based on how much you're adding versus the water. Well, here's the thing. I'm not one of those. I'm a snob about a lot of things in life, which the listeners, I'm sure, know. Coffee, I can't get super snobby about because, look, if it's a dark roast and it's brewed properly with the coffee to water ratio, then it's going to be fine. And I don't put any creamer or sugar or almond milk or whipped cream or caramel sauce or peanuts or anything in my coffee so i just need peanuts who putting peanuts in their coffee dark and black like my soul well again i guess we're still living in the dark ages because everybody else is going to starbucks and putting all that razzmatazz and it's like turned into a high calorie shake in the morning exactly yeah i i don't need dairy in my coffee to me those are like separate worlds if i want a milkshake then i you know take a lactate and i have a milkshake if i want a cup of coffee i want a damn fine cup of coffee yeah it's interesting how my tastes in coffee have evolved over the years and i think we probably all started out with cream and sugar i very quickly ditched the cream probably in my late teens and then I think the, the sugar slowly went from two spoons to one to sometimes no sugar. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I think I've been drinking it black for pretty much the rest of my life, which I'm not going to say how many years that is. But I, I think when you like just pure, good, simple coffee, you don't need all those other things. Like, are you trying to hide the flavor of the coffee? I always wonder. I, I know I like the taste of it just as is, so... All right. Well, before this gets too far into being just a fucking Cafe Bustello commercial, let's get into this week's episode because so much happened. I know I feel like I'm saying that every week, but literally there were things happening like off screen and on screen and every character had like a a moment in this episode and then it culminated in a big ass party at the Carrington Mansion. So let's take a break and party on. Party on, dudes. <laughs> Welcome back. So I'm a little bit confused. Blake is continuing this ruse that he's still blind. And I'm not really sure if there's a point behind it. Why is he still acting like he's blind? What's your take on this? Well, my take is that it's actually a little bit like um, Stephen's gay amnesia, except Blake's got a little more control over it to some extent. But again, we were talking about how it's hysterical blindness, right? Obviously, he's no longer hysterical. He's just playing blind. But I think he could not reveal his uh, ability to see until he finally got the truth out of Crystal, which doesn't occur until the end of the episode. So mm. I think that's when he's finally able to reveal you know, the, the fact about his, his being able to see. Do you think that he knew that Crystal would not leave him as long as he was blind? Mm, I hadn't really considered that angle. I, But I think... I, I don't really see the connection there. I think Crystal's stuck on him regardless of the eyesight issue or not yeah i just think it's weird that he's keeping this up i mean he's even letting like uh, i mean maybe he's just doing it for convenience sake because fallon is like making him a a, a martini in his office and you know obviously he's got joseph waiting on him hand and foot even more than usual so i don't know i think maybe he's just being lazy for for the hypochondriac type i i don't think he's like 
doing all this just to get somebody to make him a martini. I, I really think this is just about he wants to see the truth. Um, and he can't do that if everybody knows he can see. So I, I think that's why when he gets to the end, again, I think his revelation about Crystal and Dr. Nick and the garden um, is really the impetus for him finally to reveal. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that that's the reason that he's like, okay, I don't need to keep doing this. But I guess looking back on these episodes where he is blind, and by blind, I mean just wearing Tony Stark disco sunglasses, I don't see why he, I don't really see what he's sort of getting out of it other than wearing, you know, sexy AF sunglasses. But yeah, well, no, it totally, also, totally it also he realizes him, not, I don't need to do it anymore when he learns the truth that, you know, Dr. Toscani wasn't sticking it in Crystal. Well, it also gives him this wedge against Crystal too, right? He can just continue to sort of see through her, not see her, ignore her. While she's like, you know, pawing at his shoulder in bed and moping around the house and, you know, doing her late night hauntings in the library and on the stairs. And it's just, you know, it's it's this way to put this wall between them. And she even calls that out, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that she's only there in bed. But like emotionally, there's nothing there. Well, and he said a few weeks ago that he wanted her in the bed and she's back in the bed this episode. But are they fucking like, is he pretending to be blind and having sex with her? I guess not. I, I mean, well, I think that's implied because, again, I, they both acknowledge that there's a physical relationship now, but she's not getting the the emotional trade off there. That's, you know, it's one thing to pretend that you can't walk down the stairs. It's another to, like, engage in intercourse. Well, I like that, like, Blake's basically getting what he wants, but she's not getting what she wants. And, you know, that's... That's the way it always but is. I know. That's the power dynamic in their relationship for sure. Um, well, you know, but, you know, and then, and then she's like in bed, like husband shaming him. Basically. She's like, if we're going to make this marriage work, you have to be a husband just as much as I have to be a wife, you know? And it's like, but the trade-off doesn't really work that way when you're married to Blake Carrington, I think. Well, you know, who isn't getting what they want is Stephen and Sammy Joe Carrington. So Stephen is upset that the family has not accepted her, which I don't know what he thought was going to happen by getting hitched to this, you know, 18, 19 year old. And Sammy Joe is continuing her quest for riches. She's got her fur getting delivered in this episode with her name embroidered. Now is embroidery inside of fur supposed to be that large? Because it was like graffiti on the inside of that fur. It was like so dramatic. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. It's another example of eighties excess. But I, I mean, furs are definitely monogrammed, so I'm not sure what the, you know, the the aesthetic guidelines are behind that. Well, I like that even Crystal is like, "What the fuck are you doing? Ordering this big ass fur with this big ass embroidery, when you know Stephen doesn't have any money of his own? You'd think like Crystal would be, perhaps a little bit more supportive of her new niece slash step." daughter i just like how she asked sammy joe to like what is this please explain this and and sammy joe and you know full smart ass mode is like it's lots of little tiny minks turned into one big coat (laughs) you know and i'm just thinking like like the tiny hand grenades i don't know like the writers like you know are drop these little cute lines in that i think are just enjoyable yeah no they're giving heather locklear a lot to do now and i think She's come into her own. Like, she's definitely turned a corner. I know I was so nervous about this character, but I like that she's Heather Locklear and the writers are like all in on her just being 
a little fucking Southern smart ass. Well, they've definitely done a good job of getting us to a point where she's now a little bit of a villain character, but in a small way, not like Alexis. And they didn't go from zero to 60 in one episode. This kind of builds pretty much like from the beginning with her where she walks in and the, you know, originally she's just this like country waif that's, you know, bleary eyed about all of the extravagance and, and the lifestyle of the Carringtons. And, she very quickly goes from naive to, you know, sort of exercising some of her own tricks. And now we get to this point where, you know, she's kind of presented a problem for, you know, Alexis and for Crystal. So she's kind of playing on their level. And you really get that later in the actual party uh, where she just goes nuts. But well, And it's as relevant today, too, because it makes me feel like what if Sammy Joe had Instagram? Like what if she's looking at these influencers and she's thinking i want access to this luxury and wealth even though her lot in life doesn't give her that but she's surrounded by these carringtons who are wearing furs and jewels and she wants that and i think this is you know something that modern youth has had to deal with a lot where they see they see wealth and they want to attain you know that lifestyle but it's not always realistic. Although, I mean, I guess if she's living in this mansion, she should be able to well, have that's amusing. some of the finer things in life. Yeah, that's amusing. That sort of echoes a little bit the general idea that's going on in the show, even about the Carringtons and even Blake Carrington, who's a little bit of a self-made millionaire, I guess. But it is about that attaining of these like ideals of wealth and prestige, which is like a huge 80s theme, right? And again, we always wonder, did this show kind of invent that or at least sort of was it on that forefront or was it a product of that? I think the other thing, um, you know, going back to the power dynamic between Sammy Joe and Crystal, is she even calls out Crystal, you know, for her midnight meanderings. What's going on in that mind of yours? Well, maybe, Aunt Crystal, that's something for you to figure out sometime. Like when you're wandering around the house in the middle of the night, instead of being in bed with your husband. Oh, yeah, she's watching. Yeah. She's watching and listening, and she's going to use that information to her advantage. Yeah, and I like that she called called Crystal out for that, because like, I'm always like watching Crystal do this on the show, and I'm like, all this woman does is like you know parade around the house moping and and feeling bad for herself. And it's just like, it gets kind of aggravating. So I like that Sammy Joe kind of called her out for that. So yeah, so Fallon is going to be nice to her brother, Steven, and throw this big party. I kind of didn't understand what the point of the party was. I feel like if we're going to throw a party, there should be like a baby shower or like a wedding party. But this was like a big ass regal affair just to make Steven feel good about getting a shotgun wedding. I don't know how, what do you, how do you put that on the invitation? Yeah, I think this is that classic, like where somebody in the family gets eloped and everybody else is not disappointed that somebody got married, but that they didn't get to go to a reception and have a party. So mm-hmm. I think this is just sort of like the, you know, the, they're going to force him to have a wedding reception, whether he wants it or not. Also it's what it really is, is, is Fallon and Alexis trying to be political and show some sort of you know display of appreciation for Sammy Joe and the fact that these two are now married, even though neither of them really likes it. A party to celebrate Stephen's marriage to that little tramp? Fallon, you must be joking. Well, at least the little tramp is a girl. Yes, but you know something? 
Sometimes I think it might have been better had Stephen gone on living the gay life. At least I would have been honest. Stephen is honestly in love with Crystal's niece. At least he seems to think so. And he's a Carrington, and so we have to support him. Yes, but that awful girl. Here, drink this. Lots of protein. Well, and I love the fact they're not very good party planners because Crystal didn't know about the party and then Sammy Joe herself didn't oh, even no, know Oh, no, no. That party. was like very much on purpose. I mean, this is another part of Alexis's, you know, machinations. Uh, and I just love that she's, you know, going to plan this party without Crystal just really as a way to make Crystal, you know, irritated. And of course it works. Yeah, I like how she's like even throws shade at Crystal via Blake by saying, oh, I guess she was too busy planning this party, even though she knows that Crystal didn't lift a finger or even <laughs> get an invitation. Right. Well, so was this scene in the gym just another excuse for nipples? I mean, did we really need to see that again on Steven? Sure. I mean, uh, also, is Fallon wearing like the worst pregnancy prop ever or? Well, I've actually been thinking in the back of my head that she's like faking this pregnancy because it's really bad. It's I mean, a hysterical pregnancy. Obviously, Pamela Sue Martin is not really pregnant and she's, you know, got a very trim figure. So she's not carrying any weight anywhere else like a normal pregnant woman would she's just got this giant pillow underneath a you know blue satin maternity shirt which she keeps wearing that blue shirt around and i don't know it doesn't look like very breathable it may not be good for the baby or maybe the gym's just a, a way to capitalize on this fitness craze that was happening in the early 80s. I mean, we already talked about Claudia's outfit at the pool a while back. So. Look, the prop master got that weight machine and those yoga mats. That's true. They're going to get their damn bubble. use out of these. They're going to they're gonna show that. And that terrible red carpet that they put down. Now, somebody else is getting a workout in this episode, too. And that's uh, Cecil Colby. Well, first of all, he's... His whole character is obsessed with these this oil shale thing. And now he's like bummed that Jeff might possibly get adopted by Blake, which I still don't understand that at all. Like, why would this even be a thing? So we haven't really said as much about Cecil and certainly not lately. I think what we see here in this episode is he and Alexis forging an alliance Oh, honey, they do more than forge an alliance. Well, they do other things that start with the letter F, but <laughs> we'll we'll talk about alliances first because Cecil is actually sort of better player than Blake is at the same game, I think, in some ways. And that's why I think Alexis is is uh enlisting Cecil as as her ally in this, you know, new scheme that she's trying to hatch up, which it's always the new scheme is the old scheme. Uh, how to break up Blake and Crystal and how to get the money out of that. That's, you know, that's like really her MO and pretty much all of these things. And so I think it's important to note that Alexis and Cecil are forging an alliance and you, this is sort of the beginning of that. And Cecil is like sort of pitted against Blake here. And they sort of went from being like, you know, business besties to, I don't know if they're frenemies or if they're just totally like, uh, arch nemesis to each other. I think their friendship is done. I yeah. think it's been done for a while and everything that's happening now is just another nail in that coffin. Well, and I think Cecil, what he's doing with um, the oil shale thing, 
is trying to insinuate himself into Blake's business. Well, I think that Alexis and Cecil have been in an alliance for many, many years. And I think this is just a coming back together to, you know, come together. <laughs> well, I I like the way that you say that because lest we forget the, you know, vaudeville gypsy fortune teller from about 10 episodes ago now, uh, she did say Adriana. She did say that Alexis was going to go back to a relationship from the past. Right, right. And of course, Alexis was just assuming this was Blake because at that point, that was who she had her, you know, sights set upon. But I think now we're kind of going back to the relationship with Cecil that she used to have, uh, which is an interesting point in this episode because we do get into issues of parentage with Fallon. And of course that's where we get the big cliffhanger at the end. Right. It's a little comical that, you know, this bomb was dropped several weeks ago and nobody's really, yeah, they, they kind of didn't really like it. pick it up. And like suddenly we're like re- re- revisiting this loose thread. Right. The person that's been the most obsessed with it, of course, is Sammy Joe, because this piece of information is what she's been able to kind of lord over everybody. And that eventually comes to a head at the end of the party when she reveals to Fallon that Cecil might be her father. But I feel like Fallon has sort of heard whisperings of this all throughout the season. So she, Oh, I don't think she's heard whisperings of it no, at maybe all. Not. I, don't, I feel like everybody else is talking about it then. I guess they're really good at keeping secrets until they're not. So I think... That's convenient writing, but... The only thing I think might be going on is that she knows that her parents and the Colbys were all mixed in together and probably like had orgies and swinger parties and stuff. So she's like... She knows it's a possibility when Sammy Joe says it because she doesn't outright think that's a lie and then just dismisses it. You can see that in Pamela Sue Martin's eyes. And that's why she immediately goes and grabs her mother and puts her in the Cruella DeVille mobile for uh, an on the road for an exciting ending to this episode oh my gosh i was like on the edge of my seat and the way that that duesenberg kept swerving around the corners i was like where are they driving in some sort of canyon that just is going back and forth and then there's a huge construction site that they just drive all the way through i think we established earlier on that this was a clinet so she's careening in the clinet. Oh, right. Careening in the clinet. I like that. Um, but yeah, I like what you were saying earlier because this is a little bit for Fallon about how our parents had like crazy young lives that we can't really accept. It's like weird for us to think about our parents that way. And then like, meanwhile, she's having her own crazy life with this thing with Jeff and Dr. Nick. And well, that's she was going to get an abortion. Now she's not. That's why I think it's all the more real for her. Yeah. Like she knows that this is a complete possibility and that she almost fucked him. <laughs> I mean, we never made enough about that, about how she's like been sleeping with Cecil and it turns well, out did, that he could be her father. They did say <laughs> that they didn't actually sleep together, that they just got really close. So what does know, that mean? Oral? It's hard to tell because like they don't ever actually show anybody because that's like, you know, how television works. Like when you get to that moment, cut to the next scene. So yeah. you have to guess, did they or didn't they? Well, the, the, the couple you don't have to guess about is, of course, Cecil and Alexis 
is having afternoon delight. And I love how she's like, I love how making love in the afternoon hasn't lost its charm. It is true, <laughs> though. Another little great line that she drops. I mean, she, she just gets all these like these zingers. I just love it. Well, yeah. And Alexis is just glowing after her afternoon delight with Cecil. She's, and she's still got champagne, too. I love that. I mean, and you know they're not nursing that one bottle. And it, don't you just love how he comes over to her, uh, you know, her artist studio and she's just always got Dom P on chill. She's like, oh, I've got a bottle. Let's open it. You know, it's like. Well, that's the mark that's of a planning true ahead, huh? classy lady. You should always have a bottle of champagne chilling. But here's the thing. A bottle of champagne chills in about 45 minutes to an hour in an ice bucket. So. Well, she, she drinks it a bottle of champagne that. every 45 minutes. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> and here's the thing. And I was asking you, like, while we were watching, was that a, that couldn't have been a prop because that was an unopened true bottle of champagne and that's dom p for sure yeah it was literally a bottle of dom perignon but it, it could have been a prop i don't think they're just going through every take a i want to know did dom they open p. up a bottle of, of dom perignon just on set right there in front of the camera i don't know speaking of champagne i guess we we really need to just dive into this party we do so i mean I thought the reason for the party was weird, but I thought the actual party itself was fabulous. Joseph this, did an amazing This ranks job. highly. Yeah, Joseph and Alexis planned a hell of a party. And I got to say, like, parties are... A, I, we talked about this with dinner parties, like how they're, you know, great plot devices for bringing people together. I think parties are too, I, I guess. For, but parties have this thing where you've got the music in the background, you've got like the little like social vignettes, you know, like between characters and they do a good job of, with all of these elements. And you know, this is an exciting, you like feel the energy. Yeah. So well, it's good directing. Too. And I like that you kind of pull back and you see other people, how sort of established the characters are in society. And I like just seeing more of the mansion, that opening shot that sweeps through the doors. That's a good camera. Yeah. That, that cranes through the hall all the way into the rece receiving room. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, we've been seeing a lot of these rooms and these characters over and over again in the same spot so it's it's nice to have this moment where we can just take a good look at how glamorous everything is and how big it is so i think this episode and especially this party and you know which takes up half of the episode really is the departure point where we look forward into the 80s and this is where i think the the, the opening titles the show is finally living up to what you saw in the titles. Which, 100%. Because heretofore, we have not had like the glamorous evening event and like you're getting it all. You're getting the jewelry, the furs. A you, receiving line. You, yeah, and you're getting lots of champagne and also the the colors and most of the clothing are very much no longer stuck in this like late 70s hangover um, well, so, I don't know. Did I mean, there's some of it. Claudia what, was wearing. Okay, there's some. Well, no, that's actually no. That's that's like a like a interesting shade of purple. I don't know how 70s. I but whatever. But what I'm saying is, you're finally getting sort of the the glitz and the excess that we kind of like associate with Dynasty. And I think here's really like a really like big moment where that's. Yeah. And I think this is like the departure point for the show going forward. Whereas I think like the miscarriage episode was where they sort of like said we're just going to put a full stop. Like we're not, go this, this baby's not coming to term, right? <laughs> like they kind of gave up on, on all of the, uh, the dry sort of more literary 
things that they were trying to do in the in the first of the first season um and this is where we're like finally like gonna push forward yeah there's been little like dinner parties here and there and these sorts of moments but if you think back the only other time we've had a big event like this at the carrington mansion is back in the first season when there was that dinner party that the blaisdells came to and walter lankersham was super drunk and if i think about that party where like the chauffeur was also the bartender and there was that it was a pretty sober affair yeah well i mean there was a lot of imbibing so i don't know if sober is the right word but it did not have this opulence that this event has and yeah to your point this does definitely feels like a turning point for this show because they're going so big you know production wise with the costumes all of the extras and all you know everybody's invited to this party did you notice that dr nick mm-hmm. is there claudia blaisdell it's a is cast there. of thousands no but i mean this is a real huge moment for this show because everybody is there and everybody has something to do did you notice that oh yeah but i mean nobody's just filling it well again like all the characters are are given are given plot points you know to carry forward during this party so i, I love that and it's like and everything's just like a little a nibble it's a canapé it's mm-hmm. it's an hors d'oeuvre um you know you're not like weighed down with a lot of plot but every every yeah every character's got a little bit something to do yeah i mean and even claudia blaisdell i mean we can talk about the outfits later but apparently she did go through with this corporate espionage mission that cecil lorded over her and um didn't take the best photos and um, you can tell she's visibly upset about it. And all of that happened off camera. So that's sort of interesting. And we finally... Because this is a party. You know, we don't want to kill the mood. Yeah. Well, I would have liked a scene of her slinking around the Denver Carrington office with a little itty bitty camera. Anyway, we, uh, at least we finally get the moment I've been waiting for, which ended up being kind of anticlimactic. But Claudia and Steven come together and she kind of just wishes him well in his wedding and... That's sort of it. Yeah, no, I I actually like that because they had a a more emotional version of that, I think, in the miscarriage episode, ironically enough, where I my theory was that they definitely the door was closed on that. You were a little little less sure of that. Yeah, no, I wanted there to be sort of a bigger moment in this episode when they see each other because she's well, she's doing good. He's, you know, completely straight now. So Well, it is it's it's a little bit of a sad moment because these are two people who were like a, I would have thought passionately in love just a couple of months ago or I don't know how how much time has passed. You can never tell. But yeah, here they are. They're just kind of two acquaintances that you know, bump into each other at the party and there's just it's almost like they never even knew each other other than just as you know, just casual friends. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of sell that point that they were important in each other's lives for a moment, but no longer. And she's got bigger fish to fry. Seasons of love. I just like hate how the men lord things over the women in this show. And like Cecil, I think he might have Lindsay Blaisdell actually like locked up in a tower somewhere because he's totally using this for these stupid oil shale files. You say that, but you could definitely believe that about his character. I mean, I know? kind of would love I don't, to see like, Lindsay see, Blaisdell locked Blake up. Blake wouldn't do something like that. His mouth gag. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are 
my favorite moment of the party <laughs> was Sammy Joe. I mean, there were actually several moments like she was really serving <laughs> trashiness at this party. So first of all, she steals Fallon's necklace and wears it to the party. Well, no, no. Let me back up. They put her in this terrible gown that looks like she's a slice of birthday cake and she's not feeling it. Then she steals Fallon's necklace to wear to the party. And then she comes down late in this number, like Angelina Jolie at the 2015 Academy Awards or whatever, sticking that left leg out, showing some thigh and you know to top it all off she confers with the band which i did like that they had you know like a quartet or whatever and does this crazy dance number because she's been throwing back the glasses of champagne it's just like she sammy joe is living for this party and she don't give a fuck who cares well i think this is actually sammy joe exacting revenge on Pretty much everybody, but at least on Crystal. Uh, and maybe even a little bit on Fallon, too. But she just wants to show everybody up for being such snobs. And she's yep. she's been rejected time and time again by mm-hmm. various members of this family. And she's like, well, forget you all. I'm, you know... I'm going to have a good time. I love that she's in this, like, bonkers cotton candy dress in the beginning and looking all sad and tragic and not really, like, feeling up to this party. But I guess after she knocks back a few glasses of bubbly, it's like she gets her, uh, she finds her courage. And I, what is it? Was, was this dress supposed to be scandalous? Because everybody's wearing like column evening gowns. I guess is it just because it's like slid all the way up to the hip or something like that? Yeah, I mean, scandalous for 82, I guess. And yeah, so she's traipsing down the stairs past Fallon with the necklace and so of course Fallon's like scandalized but see Fallon's got you know she's got manners so she's not just gonna like make a big stink about it right there at the party in front of everybody so I love that Fallon is just here powerless like just in stewing in her own like disbelief that this shiksa stole her necklace and then that's another thing I like this necklace thing because this is this is like sort of a rehash of the necklace affair with Crystal, but it's totally not. It's like there's zero substance, zero literary reference this time around. Like this is just played strictly for fun and there's there's really no backstory on this necklace deal. Well, and everybody is offended. I mean, even Alexis, who she's probably the most offended. I think Fallon is upset about the the necklace, but Alexis just charges through that crowd. And I I do have to applaud the extras. I like how like a lot of the men were watching like Heather Locklear and like it was some sort of strip tease routine and the women were all clutching their Yeah, pearls. it was very burlesque, yeah. And then <laughs> but then I guess at some point it turned into a little more like go-go or something i don't know (laughs) yeah whatever it was it was not uh, appropriate for this affair no absolutely (laughs) not yeah it was very yeah it was a cacophony of dance styles but heather locklear really sold it yeah and i I guess like she slipped the band leader a 20 or something because you know they were playing all this like sort of like cheesy elevator jazz like with a bossa nova beat behind it and suddenly it's like this what was that like a like a like a spy movie theme or like i don't know and then there's like some wild guitar and so i don't know she she really 
brought the fun to this party. Now, we haven't talked about Dr. Nick Toscani. So for some reason, he wants to get a job at the hospital and the hospital wants to hire him in the um, neurosurgery department because that's what he was before he hurt his hand in the Vietnam War, whatever, which that turned out this to be is a lie. the most unbelievable job interview process I have ever witnessed. I, By any rights, this hospital administrator like would have kicked this guy out of his office like the last episode. I can't believe he brought him back for a second round of interviews. It's almost like he's trying to not get this job. And and then I, the but this hospital administrator is like out of his mind. Like first of all, he's calling Dr. Nick on the you know, like right before this party and he's going to like bring him into surgery and he's not even like Oh, there the, are so the many The ink's not even dry on the contract with yeah, Dr. Nick. There and are so many like Hippocratic oath and HIPAA violations that are going on with this hospital administrator and Dr. Nick, but I guess it's all just to get him back in the the surgical room for him to realize his his true passion, which makes him go straight into Fallon's arms and realize that he loves her and he wants to build a life with her. I, am I supposed to be buying this? Like it's so out of left field. Yeah, it's it's kind of forced. I think they're trying to you know, tie up some loose threads with this Dr. Nick character. And hopefully that means we'll, we'll be out of this one soon well, enough. The but. thing that I do like about it is that it gives all of these characters a big moment to eavesdrop on each other in the library. Well, in you know, the garden. yeah, this is like soap trope number 10 B, you know, like I love that Jeff walks in right as Fallon. It's like Fallon and Nick are waiting to kiss like until, Jeff walks in the door, right? Like he's only going to walk in right when they're doing that. So that's like, and then, and then you have crystal in the chair this whole time and they never knew she was there. You know so. what we call that? That's a BOGO. <laughs> you can't well, that's yeah, two that's, for the price of that's one. soap trope number 368. Like, <laughs> I, know, I, I like that we as the audience get to see all of this, but then Crystal is the an, another layer of knowing about this. Oh, so they know I, about it in the story as well as outside yes, of the story. Yes, and let's keep it moving. I like this. He finds out, she finds out. We don't have to keep living in limbo with people not knowing what the T is. Well, and so now we know. We and that's all a know. Choice and we're all on the, yeah. the same page. The writers made that choice. They didn't have to have Crystal in that chair overhearing all of this and uh, and knowing all these plot points that are coming together. They could have, yeah, they could have just kept these characters in the dark and this could have just dragged on like, and gosh like darn, as soap operas do. And gosh darn, if a few seconds later we don't have Crystal uh, confronting Nick outside and Blake overhearing that. And we do get confirmation that they never actually banged. And the other confirmation that we get is I think none of these characters. Well, and think, Blake gets that confirmation. Right. Which is enough for him to, you know, not to pretend to be blind anymore. But I think what's going on morality wise with all of these characters is that kissing is not cheating because Crystal's like, I'm glad <laughs> we talked I about never. that in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm glad I didn't cheat on my husband with you. And I'm thinking, wait, didn't you have like a couple of uh, makeout sessions with him and, and Matthew Blaisdell? We've too? said this before. Emotional cheating is still cheating. <laughs> well, not on Dynasty and not with Crystal Carrington. But I think, yeah, that fits in with the sort of the 80s amorality, you know, that that's 
such a underlying theme in this show. Well, I mean, and good for John Forsythe because he totally sells it with that smirk. Like he's just so happy when he realizes that that Italian sausage never got anywhere near his beloved, his piece of property, Crystal. <laughs> Human cattle. I guess the final moment in this party is really all about Fallon. And it's interesting because earlier in the episode, Cecil is sort of antagonizing Blake in his office. And Blake brings up this thing about how the Colbys made all their money off the War of 1812, which it's kind of a throwaway reference, but it's kind of stuck in my mind. I'm like, why are we going all about all the way back to 1812? What's that got to do with anything much less today? And then there's a moment at the party where Stephen says to Fallon something about how the Carringtons got their money. And he says, there's this, you know, I look back in the family tree and they, you know, there's like this treasury heist in Pennsylvania. I thought these were just like historical jokes that I the think writers that they were making. Were. I think that they were, but why are we going back to 1830, 1812? And then Fallon, interestingly, She's wearing this empire waist gown, which is not Fallon doesn't know. And I like look empire waist is classic maternity dressing. Yeah, she's preggers. Um, what are you talking about? No, but she doesn't normally wear even during the show. You were talking about like that smock that she likes to wear so much. Like that's just like here's some a line cloth, put it on, you know. But like she's wearing empire waist ball gown, and I would say that that's just sort of you know coincidence. But then she's even got the. 1810s hairdo to go with it i mean look up any like portrait of of a lady in 1810 to 1820 they're all wearing empire waist and this hairdo so I, i'm sure it's all totally coincidence but it's interesting that she is like sort of aligned with this this historical look and then you know we're talking about 1812 is like the the colby money which so in some ways, like the way she's uh, costumed in this party is putting her on the side of the Colby's, not on the Carrington's. I, I know this is all just like a huge stretch and it's just like more of my overreading into things. But I think that's interesting because this is the episode where it finally comes to a head that she may not be a Carrington. She may be a Colby or at least Cecil may be her father, we should say. So that's why, you know, what upsets her after and, and as powerful as she is, it aggravates me that she gets into it with Sammy Joe in the library and and like that's, I guess, Fallon's kryptonite is Sammy Joe saying to her, well, you know, Blake's maybe not your father. And that like takes like all of like that's puts Fallon on her knees like and it's like aggravating because I don't want Fallon to not be the stronger character between her and Sammy Joe. I think Sammy Joe's like amateur hour. Look, Fallon is going through a lot. She's pregnant, which is already going to make her crazy. Then she's got questions of the paternity coming up. She's going through a divorce with her husband. She's, you know, cheating on him with this doctor that was also she thinks banging her stepmom. I mean, I'm surprised that she's not more loony. And if I had all of that going on, I'd be driving into a construction site too. So I get it. 
Well, now we've reached the portion of the episode where we decide our look of the week. And there obviously was a lot to choose from. I mean, even before... It's an evening occasion. No, but even before we get to the party, there were some great outfits. But I want us to really just pick one. I don't want to do this fucking honorable mention, you know, gold, silver, bronze. Like, what was your number one look of the week? Oh, I'm just going to go straight for the obvious. It's Alexis and the gold LeMay, you know, plunging neckline Mm -hmm. affair. Uh, It's also, it doesn't just look hot and hot on her. It's like pure 1980s glitz. I think this may be the first moment of true, like, it's just 80s excess over the top ridiculous. Well, did you notice on the wrap, there's little furs, little minks Yes, there's little mink tails on her wrap. So somehow she still managed to work fur in with all of this, like, mm-hmm. double weave gold lame. Then she's got the upswept hairdo, but then it's, like, teased and curled on the very top. Uh, so that's it's this, like, sharp but still feminine. And I don't know if you noticed, the, the plunging neckline goes basically, like, to her navel, so there was like so much cleavage showing, but you can tell that they, they must have put like uh, double-sided tape in there because it never reveals anything. It's like like tailored right against her body the whole time. So I agree. That was my outfit of the week as well. I'm not going to talk about how Fallon looked great in her empire waist dress or how Crystal looked so shimmery and beautiful. I'm not going to talk about Alexis's poochy print smoothie making blouse. I'm not going to talk about any of those outfits because that gold lame dress with the sort of seashell clutch and oh we didn't even time yeah the seashell monodier that was a, a fantastic touch as well i mean again yeah, she was accessorized i, I can't talk about any perfect. of the other outfits um you know i can't yeah I can't she really talk about burned claudia. the house down i mean and i'm not going to talk about claudia blaisdell wearing a purple version of like the same exact thing that she wore the last time that she was at a big party at the carrington mansion i'm not going to talk about any of those outfits i'm only going to talk about Alexis's gold lame look. And yeah, the the little minx on the wrap, even though we don't support fur here anymore at Dynasty as they want to be, really kind of sent it over the top. Because how could you have all of those things going on? Seashell, gold lame, up to fur. And it works. It works from head to toe. I suppose the only criticism you can make is she looks a little bit like an Oscar statuette, but... I think in this situation, that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, I'd like to first thank God, and then I'd like to thank the Academy. Well, I feel like there's just so much that we still couldn't talk about. I mean, this episode was dripping with story, plot, characters, clothes. It's just, yeah... yeah, I, we didn't do enough service to this episode. And I think the, I don't the even, writer just crammed so much in. Yeah, I don't even think I needed any caffeine from the coffee because I was getting such a buzz from this episode. I, I'm going to say this is officially my favorite episode of the season I so far. I think you have said that multiple times now. So I don't know what to believe when you say it's your favorite episode. Because every episode I, I is think, your favorite episode. Well, no, episode. I think what's happening is every episode is now better than the one that came before. So that's just a testament to like how great this season has okay been. well i'm not getting my hopes up too much for the next episode because obviously there's not going to be another party and then we have fallon you know on the brink of death so i'm not 
you know, I'm I'm simmering my expectations. Okay, Hot Rod? <laughs> well, before we go, I just want to remind everybody we're on social media. You can follow us at Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining me, Kyler. Thank you so much for inviting me to this party. You're you're very welcome. I'm glad you RSVP'd and you knew what that was. Ta-ta for now. 